0: Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 126. Let's talk Apple services. Hi, I'm Neil. One topic that has been getting an increasing amount of attention in Apple's earnings calls is services. And there's a very logical reason for this. Apple services business is remarkably strong. Revenue growth is accelerating. The thing about Apple services is it's surprisingly mysterious. Every three months, we get one number, services revenue. That's about it. We don't get information on particular revenue drivers within services. We don't get information on all of the margin drivers for services. There's all of this mystery for a segment that could easily qualify as a Fortune 100 company. In today's episode, I want to tackle some of that mystery. I want to put together some of the pieces that make up the Apple services business. It's weird. We're moving to the point where the phrase Apple services is increasingly meaning something different depending on who's talking about it. We have people saying that things like Apple Pay And iCloud storage, those are the things that are making up Apple services. Well, I disagree with that. You have other people saying, well, maybe it's video content. Maybe it's music content. In some ways, the word services is morphing over time. The last time we talked about Apple services in detail with this podcast was back in 2016. Episode 75, The Apple Services Myth, and I would recommend listening to that episode if you didn't already listen to it, because I think that would serve as a good base. This episode is going to be a little bit more focused on the numbers and a little bit more on the particular drivers within services. In 2017, Apple reported $31 billion of services revenue. That would qualify as Apple's second largest revenue source behind iPhone. So Apple services represents around 13% of overall revenue. While Apple management has been dedicating more and more time to talking about Apple services in recent quarters, this is a category for Apple that has been seeing growth for a very long time. You could go all the way back to 2010, 2011, to the early days of the App Store. However, the thing that has changed is in recent quarters, Apple's services business has seen renewed momentum. I have one exhibit over at AboveAvalon.com in this week's article, The Apple Services Machine, that takes a look at Apple services revenue growth on a year-over-year basis. And this is looking at the trailing 12-month basis for services revenue. In late 2015, Apple's services revenue growth began to accelerate. Currently, it's at a multi-year high of right around thirty percent. In a few minutes, we'll go over exactly why I think this growth is accelerating. But for now, it's fair to say it's because of the iPhone business. Apple's seeing strong new user trends for iPhone. The thing that's amazing about this is that Apple is seeing acceleration in services revenue growth, despite already sitting on such a large base of services revenue. It makes that growth so much more impressive. And I think that's one reason why a lot of people have been looking at Apple services and wondering, well, what is causing all of that growth? We know it's the iPhone business, but is it iCloud storage? Is it the App Store? What about Apple Care? What about licensing? This takes us to the services machine. I want to spend a little bit of time actually talking about what comprises apple services what makes up this machine services is a financial catch basin for apple's non-hardware revenue there are five categories to apple services digital content iCloud Apple Care Apple Pay and licensing within that digital content category we have app store iTunes, Apple Music, the Mac App Store, TV App Store, and the iBook Store. All of those pieces comprise Apple services. We'll go over each category very quickly. I don't think we need to spend too much time on this, but there's a few points that I did want to discuss. We will start off with digital content. This includes revenue from Apple's various content stores. This includes the App Store. And iTunes, it also includes Apple Music. When it comes to estimating revenue for digital content, we know there's a lot of moving parts, but there are some very helpful clues. Apple has been providing the amount paid to app developers on an annual basis. That data point makes it possible to derive the total amount of App Store revenue. And we could see how much revenue Apple is retaining. itself. We also have Apple disclosing a number of paid Apple Music subscribers. So even though digital content is so broad, and there's so many different stores included in that one category, the clues that we have I think are very useful for coming up with an estimate for how much revenue Apple is seeing by distributing digital content. The next category, iCloud. Apple offers three tiers of additional iCloud storage, 50 gigabytes, 200 gigabytes, and two terabytes. Prices for each tier depend on the geography and the two larger storage tiers are eligible for family sharing, which is a very crucial point to consider when we're deriving iCloud storage revenue. While Apple hasn't disclosed the number of users on a paid iCloud storage plan, they have been giving us some clues. They're a little bit helpful, (laughs) not as helpful as say, the amount of revenue given to app developers, but it's something. Management recently disclosed that iCloud revenue was up over 50% year over year, and it's currently at a record high. While that clue is still pretty broad, and so there's a lot of wiggle room there, I do think it could serve as at least a broad parameter, for determining iCloud storage revenue. And again, we'll talk about that in a few minutes. The next category that makes up services is AppleCare. Apple sells a number of service and support options for its products. We are looking at extended warranty insurance. I previously was an insurance analyst in my prior life, so I can go into extended warranty insurance in a lot more detail, but we're not going to do that in this episode. All I will say is it's pretty profitable. It's it's a good type of insurance if you are providing that insurance. While everyone is different, and I understand that sometimes extended warranty coverage gives you peace of mind, I never buy it. I don't think it's worth it. But again, that's that's for another discussion. (laughs) The next category is Apple Pay. Apple earns a small percentage of every amount transacted through Apple Pay. Back when Apple Pay launched, initial reports pegged this percentage at just 15 basis points for U.S. transactions. So that's 0.15%. That's not a lot. (laughs) For every $100 of Apple Pay purchases in the U.S., Apple earns 15 cents. However, in the U.K., Apple reportedly receives a smaller fee. Given Apple Pay's prominence outside the U.S., I think it's a safe assumption to say that Apple earns, on average, less than 15 basis points of every Apple Pay transaction. It's not a lot. We'll talk about why I think a lot of people have Apple Pay's contribution to services wrong. I just don't think it's a big driver. The last category, probably the least known or maybe the most surprising for people, licensing. Apple earns revenue from third parties for offering their services as default options on Apple devices. One of more well-known examples is Apple's contract to have Google be the default search provider for Safari on Mac and iOS. Apple recently expanded its Google relationship to include Google for web searches via Siri, YouTube for video searches. We also have Microsoft Bing remains the option for Siri image searches. Needless to say, there's a lot of people who are using Apple hardware. And service providers like Google, they want to be in front of those people. They want access to those premium users. They are willing to pay Apple for that access. And we're talking about big money. We're talking about billions of dollars per year. So that's the Apple services machine. Now what we're going to do is begin estimating services revenue. So this is the fun part. (laughs) Apple doesn't disclose the amount of revenue generated by each services category. So I went back over previous earnings call transcripts. I looked at recent news releases involving the App Store and Apple Music. I took all of that information either via Apple Management commentary or certain data points, and I put them together. And I derived revenue estimates for each of the major services categories. There were some surprises. So let's just jump right into this. According to my estimates, Apple earns a majority of its services revenue from delivering content to nearly a billion people using more than 1.3 billion Apple devices. In 2017, Apple earned an estimated $21 billion from selling digital content. We're talking about everything from apps, especially games, to music and movies. Back in January, Apple disclosed that it paid $26.5 billion to app developers in 2017. We know that Apple keeps either 15% or 30% of App Store revenue. It depends on the app, whether it is a subscription. So this suggests that overall App Store revenue was approximately $37 billion in 2017. Here's the very important part. Apple reports App Store revenue on a net basis. They are only recognizing the commission that they retain. So that full $37 $37 billion of App Store revenue? That is not reflected under services. Instead, Apple reports just its share, $11 billion. The remaining portion of Apple's digital content revenue, because my estimate is $21 billion and only 11 billions billion is from the App Store. So where's the rest of that coming from? iTunes, Apple Music, and Apple's other content stores. You may be thinking, well, how is that possible? How can all of those other sources represent almost as much revenue as the App Store? You would think that the App Store is so much larger. Well, the thing is, Apple reports Apple Music revenue and some digital content sold through iTunes on a gross basis. So this means that they're reporting overall revenue and not just their share. This results in iTunes and Apple Music representing a large portion of services revenue, despite bringing in less revenue overall versus the App Store. Circling back to the topic about Apple services revenue growth accelerating as time goes on, the primary reason Apple is seeing that is that they have brought in a lot of new people into the iPhone install base, according to my estimates. Apple grew the iPhone install base by more than 100 million people each year from 2013 through 2017. What are these new iPhone users doing? They're spending an increasing amount of money buying various forms of content. It could be through the App Store. It could be through iTunes. It could be Apple Music. This growth in the install base goes a long way in explaining how Apple has been able to grow that digital content. Category within services. One of the more interesting revelations from my estimated Apple services revenue mix is the degree to which licensing is a key revenue driver. My estimate is that Apple earns $4 billion per year from licensing. And that's interesting because Apple doesn't discuss its licensing business. And yet you're talking $4 billion per year. Just to put that into context, Apple Watch generated $6.5 billion of revenue in 2017. So licensing is a pretty big deal for Apple. The key item to consider when talking about Apple licensing is I do think you've seen very good growth in recent years. You can look at Google's financial statements. The company has been paying much higher traffic acquisition costs. iOS has been gaining power at the premium end of the smartphone market and Google wants access to those users. They need access to those users. Why? Well, iPhone users in the premium and the smartphone market are feeding Google's free data capturing services. This dynamic has led some people to think that Apple could turn this licensing line item into something very, very large, if they wanted to. I'm a little doubtful Apple will go in that direction, but if you're talking about having control Of the premium in the smartphone market, you're talking a lot of people, hundreds of millions of users, there are a lot of companies, a lot of services companies, who would pay very good money to access those users. And if you're Apple and you're looking at your user base and you're saying, well, we want to give these users the best experience, maybe that includes some third-party services that we can include as default options, you could see how there could be a lot of revenue in that. Again, Apple hasn't necessarily moved in that direction, but it is something to monitor. Next, we turn to some of Apple's more recent new services revenue streams. We're talking about iCloud and Apple Pay. The main takeaway for those two revenue streams, they don't come close to matching the revenue associated with content distribution. Given the economics surrounding Apple Pay, it's just not likely that the service is a significant revenue driver for Apple in the near term. For example, (laughs) this is pretty remarkable. For every $1 trillion transacted through Apple Pay, Apple would only generate $1.5 billion. Now, I will say, going forward, maybe the economics change. We have reports of Apple talking with Goldman Sachs about an Apple Pay credit card, and the economics behind that seem to be a little bit more attractive versus just straight up Apple Pay. Down the road, you could be talking about a different situation here in terms of the financial impact from Apple Pay. But in the near term, given what we currently have, it's a non-factor. It just isn't... It, It's a rounding error, pretty much, for services revenue. On a percentage basis of overall services revenue, Apple Pay is 0%. It's just not a big driver. In terms of iCloud, while management talks about record revenue, they talk about very good revenue growth, I just don't think the numbers are there to have iCloud be a leading source of Apple services revenue. You're still talking about $2 billion per year. So that is something. And there is certainly room for that to go higher over time. But I tend to think consensus assumes iCloud accounts for a lot more of Apple services. When you start looking at the users and you start looking at the amount paid per month, you're going to have to run with very aggressive assumptions to really have iCloud storage account for much more than $2 billion. And so that's why I think iCloud accounts for about 5 to 6% of overall Apple services revenue. All of these revenue estimates are available over at AboveApple.com. But just to recap, I'll just go over the percentages at this point. So this is for Apple services revenue in 2017. Digital content, 68% of overall revenue. Licensing, 13%. Apple Care, 13% iCloud, 6%. Apple Pay, 0%. Next, we turn to estimating Apple services gross margin. So Apple doesn't disclose services revenue by category. And well, with margin, we have even less information. Apple doesn't disclose services margins, not even an overall margin. But we do know from management commentary that services end up boosting Apple's overall gross margins. That's a major clue. It tells us that services gross margin exceeds 40%. So we have a lot of confidence that it's above 40%. The way that you get a more specific margin estimate is you have to look at each revenue driver. In Exhibit 5, in this week's article, I break out my estimate for gross margin by category. At the top, we have licensing. I have an estimate of 95% gross margin. So basically, it's pure profit. We have Apple Pay, gross margin of 80%, iCloud, 75% gross margin, Apple Care, 60%, and digital content, 43%. Put it all together, and my estimate for Apple's services gross margin is 55%. So if you take a look at Apple's overall gross margin this recent quarter, it was 38%. That was the overall margin. It's largely impacted by things like iPhone, iPad. Well, Apple services ends up boosting that number because you're looking at something closer to 55%. That is important to consider when you're going forward, when you're modeling that gross margin. Assuming Apple continues to see pretty good services revenue growth, and if we assume a scenario where maybe iPhone average selling price reverts back to the mean, unit sales trend Around flat, you could have a scenario where iPhone revenue represents a smaller percentage of overall Apple revenue. In that scenario, having an Apple services gross margin that's close to 55% could go a long way in having Apple be able to maintain its overall gross margin. So that's something to consider. One other item worth talking about in terms of gross margin digital content, my estimate's 43%. I think it's the lowest margin item within services. Why is that? Got to go back to accounting. If Apple is reporting Apple Music and some iTunes revenue on a gross basis, that will weigh on digital content's gross margin. This brings us to strategy. I continue to think that Apple's services strategy is misunderstood. Many have looked at Apple's services momentum and concluded that Apple is turning into a services company. We then have a growing number of people position services as Apple's future. I don't think those viewpoints are true. With services, Apple is pursuing two goals. The first is deliver content. Apple has a long-standing ambition here of leveraging its platforms in order to become a leading content distributor. Talking about apps, music, books, podcasts, video. More recently, news, magazines. To claim that Apple has only recently begun to focus on this, focus on earning revenue from delivering content, is incorrect. The second goal Apple has for services is to increase hardware value and functionality. Apple looks at services as a key differentiator that increases the value found in using Apple hardware and software. So when you're looking at something like Apple Care, iCloud Storage, Apple Pay, they are designed to improve the experience found in using Apple hardware and software. When you look at those two goals for services, so deliver content, and increase hardware value and functionality. There's a recurring theme, hardware dependency. Apple's ambition to be a content distributor is intertwined with its hardware capabilities. If you take away the 1.3 billion Apple devices in the wild, Apple's digital content revenue would be a fraction of its current size. Look at Apple Care, Apple Pay, iCloud, licensing. They are heavily dependent on the number of Apple devices in the wild. Now this doesn't mean that Apple has to report iPhone unit sales growth, or iPad unit sales growth, in order to grow Apple services revenue. We could look at Apple's current results. We have iPhone unit sales iPad unit sales, Mac unit sales are basically flat. Yeah, they could be up a little bit, one quarter, down a little bit the next. They're flat. And despite being flat, we have services revenue growth up 30%. The key is for Apple to continue growing its user base. For Apple to continue growing the number of devices in the wild. That has an impact on Apple services revenue. One question I get is, why isn't Apple services valued like other services companies? I then see some analysts, they go around and say, well, if Apple services was a standalone business, it would be worth X dollars. You can't really do that. Sure, you can get Apple services revenue. You can get Apple services gross margin. We talked about that in this episode. You can get estimates for those items. You can then go and get the peer comps, so you can look at other services companies, see how they're trading, what are they valued at, what is their growth, what is their margin, and you can compare. You can do that, and there's nothing wrong with that. The problem, though, is you can't really consider Apple services as a standalone business. So while you can go through the exercise, I don't think you can really put much behind it. It doesn't work like that. And I think the relationship between Apple services and Apple hardware is one reason why an Apple services narrative doesn't really stick on Wall Street. That could explain why Wall Street just doesn't value Apple services like other services. Wall Street does not have a good history in terms of hardware. And there's good reason for that. You don't have a lot of examples where companies that are dependent on hardware in various ways, you don't have many examples of that working out well over time. And if there's one theme found in this podcast, it's that Apple is unique in that regard. Look at something like the iPhone business. For it to be around 10 years, to have margins remain consistent, to have unit sales, even after 10 years, remain consistent, that is unusual. And you can say the same thing about iPad, Mac. We can look at Apple Watch. So Apple's hardware capabilities, they're unique. And I think Wall Street still struggles with figuring out how do you value that going forward? How do you think about the next five years, the next 10 years of Apple cash flows? It's not as simple as another company. Now, some people may say, well, wait a second. company like Netflix, Spotify, they face risk. And that's true. Every company faced some risk. But in terms of Apple's services risk, if that includes hardware, I think Wall Street treats it differently. You can disagree with that, and it seems like Apple certainly disagrees with that, judging from their share buyback plans. But that is the current reality in terms of how Wall Street is thinking about services. And I think that's why this idea of Apple becoming a services company or Apple services becoming the future of Apple. I just don't buy it. I don't think that is really what's happening here. Because when you look at the goals Apple has for services, they've held those goals for a very long time. Delivering content, this is something Apple's been working on, not just in months, quarters, or years. You're talking decades. Using services to increase hardware value and functionality, that's not new. I think what has changed is because you have so many people in the Apple user base, you have so many devices now out in the wild, the numbers are just getting larger. Apple's future isn't about selling services. It's about developing tools for people, and those tools will consist of a combination of hardware, software, and services. The last topic for today is looking ahead a little bit in terms of Apple services. Apple management recently reiterated its goal of reaching approximately $50 billion of services revenue by 2020. By the way, this goal has led a lot of people to question just how Apple is going to do this. Are you going to see Apple launch new services? Are you going to see Apple use its access cash to buy companies? In my view, the most likely way Apple will reach this goal is by growing the amount of revenue associated with digital content distribution. When you consider that App Store revenue has been growing by approximately 30% per year and you have Apple Music revenue growth offsetting a decline in paid music downloads, I think Apple stands to grow its digital content revenue by at least $15 billion over the next two years. That one item will push Apple very close to its $50 billion services revenue goal by 2020. The remarkable thing is we haven't even taken consideration new content subscription offerings from Apple. We're just looking at Apple's current services business and assuming a certain percent of growth, which I think is attainable over the next few years. According to Apple, they have 270 million paid subscriptions across its services. That's up over 100 million year over year. My suspicion is a good portion of those subscriptions are content subscriptions. We then have good reason to believe that Apple is developing two new paid services for delivering content, Apple Video and a paid tier that Apple news. I think in each case, those services will be given a long-term target of having at least 100 million paying users. You then have Apple being in a good position to benefit from growing momentum for all these video streaming services like Netflix, HBO, Hulu. So I don't think it's a stretch to claim that Apple will one day have 500 million paid subscriptions across its services. This leads me to the takeaway for this episode. Apple isn't becoming a services company. Instead, Apple's building a leading paid content distribution platform. That's going to do it for today's episode. For those of you who want a little bit more detail about the financial aspects to this discussion, a little bit about the math and methodology behind my estimates, I did publish a daily email this week that took a look at that data. So it was dedicated to going a little bit more into the numbers. I also went into detail estimating Apple's paid subscription mix. So we have Apple saying they have 270 paid subscriptions across the services what does that include? I went over my thinking on that topic. All of that information was sent in a daily update to above Avalon subscribers. Additional topics that I talked about over the past two weeks include going over Apple's 10Q for the second quarter 2018. I went over my notes. I went over Warren Buffett doubling down on Apple again. This is a very intriguing topic not just even in finance circles but also technology circles. There's a lot to talk about in terms of the ramifications of Berkshire Hathaway buying so many shares of Apple. In addition, I think it says a lot about what Warren Buffett is looking for out of Apple. What does it mean about Apple's narrative on Wall Street to have Berkshire Hathaway be so aggressive in terms of buying Apple shares? I went over a few earnings reports including Fitbit and Spotify I went over my thoughts regarding Google's developer Conference keynote, the differences between Apple and Google on some of those issues. There was a report of Apple launching an Apple pay credit card with Goldman Sachs, which we talked about earlier this episode. I went over that topic in greater detail. And I talked about some car and transportation items. Tesla announced a major reorganization. I went over my thoughts on that. I went over Tesla versus Apple executive turnover, which I think there was a couple interesting observations. And I went over Apple expanding its self-driving car fleet. So all of those topics and a few other ones that I didn't even mention were included in the daily updates to above Avalon subscribers. Each daily update is about 2,000 words and goes over what I think matters in the world of Apple. If you enjoy the analysis found in these podcast episodes and in the weekly articles over at AboveAvalon.com, I think you would enjoy reading my daily email about Apple. To receive that email and become an Above Avalon subscriber, head on over to AboveAvalon.com and go to the subscribe page. There are two subscription options. There's a monthly subscription that's $10 per month, or there is an annual subscription that's $100 per year. There's also plenty of other information about Above Avalon subscriptions on the site. There's all of the privileges and benefits and also there's the most commonly asked questions and answers. So, if you still have a few questions about that, just head on over to aboveavalon.com. I'm very proud to say that Above Avalon is 100% supported by subscriptions. So, if you are already an Above Avalon subscriber, thank you. And if you are thinking about becoming an Above Avalon subscriber, thank you in advance. If you enjoy the Above Avalon podcast, if you can leave a quick rating or review for the podcast in Apple's podcast app, I would greatly appreciate it. And of course, if you know someone who may be interested in these podcast episodes, you can certainly let them know. I won't stop you from doing that. (laughs) With that, I will conclude today's episode. I will talk to you all next week. Bye.